Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Imperial TMT podcast, where we invite innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists from all backgrounds to have mindful conversations about business and technology. I'm your host, Jojo. In this episode, I'm really excited to announce that we have two engineers and innovators, Alfie McMeekin and Shafi Ali, joining the show. They just finished their master's degree in design engineering at Imperial College. They are previous team members of Dream Team, a student-led professional design consultancy based in Imperial College London, which delivers innovative and impactful solutions across diverse topics. It was set up by the renowned British engineer and artist, Professor Nick Monroe at the Dyson School of Design Engineering. Alfie and Chevet, thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having Thanks. us. Thanks. So before we kick off, could each of you introduce yourself and maybe share one of your fun facts with us? So uh, I guess I'll go first. Um, so I'm Cafe, and as Jojo said, I have completed my degree in design engineering from Imperial. Um, I've got a workshop at home, which I've been building up since I was 12. I love making things. I have eight 3D printers, hopefully going to get more, but yeah, I like making things and um, yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, and um, I'm Alfie, and as Shafi said, we just graduated from Imperial um, from Design Engineering. Um, I'm now looking to do a PhD um, at Imperial again, uh, which should be quite interesting, so that'll be on for the next four years, and then hopefully doing some startups again on the side, uh, which will be continuing. Um, so yeah, that's me. Okay, great. So what about your fun facts? Shaf, do you want to go? I guess I, I thought I already mentioned the fun fact, though, was the fact that I've got eight 3D printers. <laughs> I guess I can add another fun fact. Uh, I like playing Kabaddi. Kabaddi is like an Indian wrestling sport. Uh, actually, we've got a team at Imperial. So um, we're one of the few un university teams in, uh, in England, um, which is, yeah, an interesting sport. So look it up if you've got time. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, I'd, I'd say for me, I, I love karate. So I've been doing it since I was five years old. Um, before Imperial, before I had no time, um, I did uh, quite a few competitions. So I went to the World Championships a few times. So that was um, quite interesting. And I've, I've restarted it again now that I've finished. So hopefully more competitions coming. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to watch it if I get the chance. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right. So before we get into it, could you to give us a flavor of what your journey has been like? I know you guys have always been interested in tech, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. Um, so obviously we both chose to do design engineering. Um, and within design engineering, you've got a lot of freedom to do, whether it's uh, mechanical, programming, electronics, all of that. But the main thing is combining that with entrepreneurship. Uh, but even before that, I think, like, personally, I was always interested in, in technology. So um, I did my first ever kind of wearable technology project when I was 12. Uh, and it was essentially a, a Bluetooth-connected smart club that you could control your entire phone with just your fingertips. And I guess since that point, I mean, even before that, I would do smaller things. But that was the first, like, real independent project. Um, and after that, I just continued making uh, making things and always having an entrepreneurial aspect to it so always the intention to solve a problem so that you can you know help people have a better lifestyle better livelihood um, but yeah I guess then we both went into design engineering at university started um, yeah. but yeah personally I've always been interested yeah I'd say for me it's quite similar to Shafi's when I was younger I was literally I'd say addicted to Lego I used to love making things with it and um I guess drawing as well my mum and my dad are quite artistic so they really pushed me into the kind of like drawing area and then from there um, I think I saw design engineering was a new course about two years before it opened and I was just dying to get onto it basically and from that point onwards I've just you know really wanted to start my start my own startup in whatever area it may be and uh, hopefully that happens at some point as well. Yes it seems engineering it's always a way and uh, you guys sort of like evolved into being a maker but I, I believe it's definitely a driving force for you to constantly doing stuff okay so let's get started how did you know dream team what prompted you to join the team so I think dream team 
essentially when we joined it was it was when it first started essentially so uh, i remember it pretty clearly it was a engineering design project module that was being taught at our uh, on our degree and nick munro was giving a presentation on branding and the effect it can have and how it can change how people perceive what your product is like and when you attach a story to something it becomes a lot more meaningful I did this entire presentation and personally I really liked it. It was essentially, I think he made quite a few references to, um, it was that uh, rap, rap band I think he made a reference to just about um, essentially how they changed rap as a genre of music um, through the way that they did their album cover and stuff like that. But anyways, at the end of that presentation on branding, he essentially proposed this new group called Dream Team, and his aim was to create a student design consultancy where students will be able to work with real life business clients and deliver them solutions to whatever whatever it may be uh, with an orientation on design. So I first applied essentially when applications first opened and I just kind of wanted to be able to be a part of something with real life business elements to it. So um yeah it was kind of a no-brainer uh for me because it was just it was something that was new it was fresh and it was it was real it wasn't like another university project mm-hmm. yeah and I think for me it was actually Shafi that prompted me to join because um, I think we were in the summer holidays at the time and Shafi had remembered um that Nick had you know said all this stuff in the presentation and he said, oh, why don't you join? So, I mean, knowing that it was a design consultancy and all that stuff that I said previously about how I was so intro into it, I basically jumped it and asked for the interview and then the rest is history, I guess. Okay. <laughs> it seems like you guys are the very early team members of the Dream Team. It must be a lot of fun. Okay, let's get into it deeply. So what have you made for the project and what made you decided to design it? So the first project that we did was... The brief was to create new merchandise for Imperial because what we felt was that the existing merchandise was not very diverse or representative. It was quite aged. It didn't really look um, modern. It didn't really resonate with students uh, as much. I think it was just kind of a box standard, uh, box standard merchandise that you get from any university. So our task was to create something new and something exciting. And I remember when I was doing my interview, um, it was at the time it was the, we were in the middle of the pandemic, um, or the very start of the pandemic, actually. And essentially, Nick kind of asked, um, oh, do you have any more things you want to add at the end of the interview? And I said, regardless of what happens, like whether you want to give me a role or not, I think a really cool project would be something in response to the pandemic, and that could be branded face masks. And the reason I felt branded face masks would be ideal was because essentially, if you've got a face mask on, your identity is completely covered. And that can create a strong sense of anonymity. And that isn't really ideal, especially when you've got freshers. So the idea with wanting to do branded face masks was to create a sense of community among students and especially for freshers to have something that they could identify with uh, and putting the putting the students first. Um, and obviously that's good for not only the students, but also Imperial. And that's kind of the reason we said, um, let's go for face masks. Cause I guess I just saw that there was this opportunity that no other university had really um, responded to yet. Uh, and then I guess, after that interview, we just we went for it. Um, and I think me and Alfie wanted to be on the same team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that, that, that happened by accident, actually. I think Nick just put us together based on our interview. We didn't even re- request to be uh, put together. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, no, so I, I just think it's really important to mention as well. So we obviously made the branded face mask, but we what we we didn't started from the beginning in a sense that we didn't um create an entirely new mask concept from the very beginning what we did was we thought it would be most impactful to create the branding for the face masks because as Shafay said everyone's anonymous and we wanted to create 
a feel for Imperial so that everyone felt unified. So what we wanted to do and not waste any time making a new technology because the timeline was so short was we pushed the branding and that's something that we wanted to push rather than anything else because we didn't want to waste time and we thought it would be the most impactful thing to do. So, yeah. I, I guess it was based on analyzing the, the, the timeline because our ideal scenario was like, okay, let's make face masks from scratch and sell them and brand them and everything. But because this is, it was a business focused project and we wanted to make an impact uh, with students. And the reality of it is trying to design them yourself and get the, get the necessary certification to sell them and properly test them takes months and months. And we had about two months. So um, that's why we kind of wait, went for this decision to uh, focus on an existing face mask and do the research to make sure that the existing face mask we went with was suitable and scalable so that we could actually give them to students um you know in the order of magnitude of thousands uh, as opposed to making a few hundred ourselves uh so yeah it was it was it became a very business orientated project which was refreshing because obviously we're from an engineering course so um yeah it was it was cool yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I love it. It's such a great idea. And given the short time period, and um, the main role is to manage face mask branding during the time of COVID-19 and get the Imperial logo printed on the high quality reusable face masks. Yeah, so I first found the little mask in the welcome bag given by the business school. And I guess all the incoming students are given branded face masks in September for protection against COVID-19 back in uh, 2021. So I would be very interested to know how long did it take to develop the face mask business project from user embassies to testing? It was around two months um, since when I mentioned it in the interview till we got our first set of masks back. So it was a very, very short turnaround and the whole I guess, process was establishing, well, firstly, it was doing research behind the different technologies available, doing testing of various different face masks to see which provided the best comfort, which provided the best quality of protection, um, and which were kind of durable as well. And then after that, it was liaising with manufacturers uh, who provided us these samples and saying, okay, how can you accommodate these uh, branding requests and how can you accommodate the timelines and then from there it was almost like a logistical problem of having to solve how do you get face masks from uh, different countries or packaging from different countries or all these different elements and bring them together in order to deliver a final product to the customer which in this case was imperial so it took about two months and yeah i think a lot of the the start was the, the research and the know-how of okay what exactly are we dealing with and then defining the problem um but yeah after that it was um we had a little bit more time so then we started to revisit the um like for example the video the imaging uh, the imagery uh, and also getting further customers as well but from the first ever set it was about two to three months yeah, I think we were quite lucky in a sense as well that we were Imperial students, because if we were an external company coming in, um, I don't think our process would have been as streamlined as it was. And also, given the position of Nick Munro um, being there, um, who had obviously quite a lot of contacts to begin with, meant that what we could do is we could go through that process and really, uh, I guess, connect with the people who we were talking to, who were the, the people who were leading Imperial. So I think that actually helped the timeline a lot. It meant that um, our whole process was quite streamlined. And obviously as well, we are students making it for students. So it made it, yeah, they, they really wanted to help us so that we could help them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it was a story. The story was key because if there was no story, it just felt like we were just trying to sell generic face masks, which isn't what we were trying to do. It was trying to do something um, more impactful, uh, more impactful than that. Um, I think a big part of what we learned here was the networking effect, which is if you can get in touch with the right people, they can then direct you to more right people who can direct you to more right people. And then it just kind of builds up. 
because if we, as Alfie said, if we were an external company, I think we could have eventually gotten to present to key stakeholders, but it would have taken longer because we would have had to go through um, various other people to uh, eventually get to present to, you know, whoever handles procurement, stuff like that. So um, I think it taught us that a, net a network is extremely important and a very strong aspect uh, to have uh, as an entrepreneur. Yes, I agree. So I think during the short time period, Professor Monroe must have given you guys a lot of helps and resources. Let's say, uh, did he connect you guys with any external manufacturers and help you with these connections and contacts? So the external part, we kind of did ourselves. Uh, that was where a lot of the time went into, into establishing the external network. Um, and that would have been in the textile technology that's in the face masks, uh, the um, manufacturers who use that and ensuring that we can, for example, use logos and et cetera on our packaging that say that it's certified. Um, because obviously we can't just put that on there. We need to make sure that we have a licensing agreement basically. Mm -hmm. So um, the external partners, we have to build that network ourselves and then the internal ones, Nick helped uh, supplement. So I think Nick was very good at guiding us and not pushing us into into any certain direction. It was more like a guiding light, which I think is what a mentor should be. Because um, uh, otherwise you kind of lose that self, um, like that ambition and self-driven uh, aspect. So yeah, I think it was, it was a case of, um, connecting us with the right people internally, but still allowing us to act on our own devices. Yeah, I agree. It just gives you a lot of freedom to uh, take the initiatives of the whole project. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it's so nice to hear your little backstory and, you know, the founding idea. And I know you guys must have a lot of like a bunch of scattered things that you were doing through that period and in the beginning of the period so let's do a bit of deep dive into the challenges so when designing the imperial branded face mask what has been the biggest challenges yeah so i mean for me um the actual branding part so um what we did was Shafay took a look into i guess the story behind what we wanted to go down and really looking into what was our key message i guess for what we wanted to portray with the face masks. Um, so that was the main thing that he did. Um, and then what I had to do was connect this with the actual branding itself. So I think I made over 78 designs or something like that and just kept churning them out, churning them out and seeing, you know, what would be the most strong branding message whilst also making it that someone would want to wear it. Because at the end of the day, if no one wants to wear it, like what's the point in making it? So, and also the merchandise that we'd seen previously that we'd been looking at, um, we weren't too sure about. It was a bit dated at the time. So we wanted to really bring Dream Team and also Imperial um, and make it look really professional and something that everyone would want to wear. So that, that would, I'd say, was quite a difficult challenge. Um, but what we managed to do was create a set of four masks that were really, um, they had all had the, a similar theme running down the middle, which was the central eye of Imperial, but they all had different um, parts about them that were, you know, I guess, interesting. So um, there was a one with the speech marks, which was, you know, actions speak louder than words, um, which in, in sense means that um, Imperial's um, actually taking an, a, an action um, to, I guess, change things for the pandemic rather than just saying empty words. Um, so, yeah, it was quite difficult to transfer the, the, the story to the actual branding at the time, but we managed to do it. I think, Shaf, you heard stuff about the manufacturing, didn't you? That, um, quite yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it was um, also on the the design element it was doing essentially the double diamond where you kind of diverge out with your thinking and then you have to converge back in and the scary thing is converging and going back to that single point because if you if you skip steps in the process when you converge you might end up on something that doesn't hit well with what you were trying to achieve so for in our instance it was creating branding that has a sense of community with imperial students and has the right technology uh, in terms of face mask itself. But if you trust in the process, as long as you followed it, then you can converge back on um, on a set of designs, which is what which is what we had. I guess the scary thing is then 
presenting that and putting it out there because at any of these stages, it's very easy to fail, but that's okay. And that's a good thing because I think the biggest thing from the whole process was learning resilience because there will be times where you set up an, an entire, let's say, supply chain and then it falls back in your face and you have to start again from scratch. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to get, um, I guess, frustrated and be like, oh, this is never going to work. But I think a super important thing is, is resilience and having a, like, so what if it goes wrong uh, kind of attitude. And I think that is, it's part of the individual, but it can also be, it can also be learned. I think nowadays people are too concerned about like, oh, what if this happens or, or what if it goes wrong? It's like, great, it went wrong, good. Or like, if they fail, people will see them in a negative way, but it's like, okay, who, who cares? Because at the end of the day, through those multiple failures, eventually you'll get to a stage where like, boom, this worked, let's keep going forward. Um, when it came to the manufacturing, I remember we were trying to find a supplier uh, who could provide us with these face masks. And I think we went through two or three suppliers before mm-hmm. eventually ending on, well, actually, no, it was a lot more than that. But in terms of the final design that we decided on um, for that one, it was around two or three before we actually found uh, one who could satisfy the requirements that we had. Um, and the worst part was actually when we were very close to finalizing a, a deal, it fell through. But again, you got to just have that attitude of it's okay. Like you just got to keep going. Um, so that bit, I like personally, I kind of find that fun because it gives, it's like a challenge. Um, although frustrating, I think it's, it's what gives it, um, it what, it's what makes it interesting, right? Um, having to be resilient and keep trying to solve the problem. Uh, I guess at the end of the day, for me, engineering as a whole, more like problem solving and i think that applies to almost everything in life um like even people who are in business even entrepreneurs they're just problem solvers like i think people who make things are just problem solvers whether the problem is physical whether the problem is uh logistical whether the problem is uh financial whatever it is um i think that that's what the key is for trying to make something innovative is always wanting to solve the problems yeah. yeah. One more like quite important thing, I think, for me, was the motivation that we had behind it, because I think if we went into it and the only thing we wanted to do was, I don't know, make loads of money or, mm-hmm. you know, do really well in that in that sense. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think we would have done like anywhere near as well. Yeah, which we didn't. But um, like, I don't think we would have done as well. But our motivation was instead that we really enjoyed it and it's something that we really wanted to do. I think if we didn't have that behind us. I don't think we would have, you know, done as well or kept going as much. But I think having it as a, a thing that you enjoy mm-hmm. makes it, yeah, way more enthusiastic to do it. I think the motivation replenishes your resilience because if you get knocked back down, you always got to go back to your motivation, which then brings you back to that resilient form of, okay, let's go again, let's go again. If you don't have that motivation, everyone gets worn down eventually because you can only be resilient so much. So having a motivation of wanting to, whether it's have a positive impact with students, whether it's wanting to learn new skills, whatever it is, the motivation is key. And you can have multiple motivations, but as Alfie said, having that is absolutely key to staying resilient. Yeah, exactly. I think both uh, resilience and motivations are uh, incredibly important, especially during your early stage. So I think you two are the only team members on this project, or are there any other fellows who are also uh, working on the same team? So we have another member, Jem, um, and Jem was uh, really key at the start of the project because she helped us establish essentially uh, what was going on with uh, the face mask project. So um, we worked with her quite a lot. And then I think kind of later down in the project, she wanted to pursue other things, um, which is, you know, completely understandable. And um, yeah, it was, it started off as a team of three. uh, And I guess we're always open to having her back. uh, But yeah, it was um, three of us on the face mask project to start with. Um, and now it's just me and Alfie and 
rather than face masks, we've gone back to merchandise as a whole, which was the original um, aim. But there are other projects on Green Team which have other team mm -hmm. members. Okay. So um, I know there's the uh, chocolate project, which is pretty interesting. Um, it's essentially making a new gift style for Imperial. There's, I think there was the um, last injury conference, uh, which is branding, I think. All the projects are very unique in the sense that some are business focused, some are business slash uh, engineering, some yeah. are business and branding, some are um, website design, whatever it might be. But mm -hmm. each of those have their own individual teams. And I guess Nick shuffles those around to, I guess, align the skill set with the requirements of the project. Yes, I've heard like the Dream Team has delivered an impressive track record of success um, projects, uh, just as you mentioned. Yeah, and I think given only three people are working on the very big projects, there are a lot of challenges on time management and prioritization as well. And I believe an idea might sound good on paper, but the practical application in the marketplace is always a difficulty. So. As we know, a coin always has two sides. So we have the, all the difficulties and all the first attempts in learning. So what have been the best bits? Um, I think for me, the very best bit, like the cherry on top was seeing random strangers on the street wearing our masks. I think I was on the tube one day and I messaged Shafi saying, oh my God, someone has our has the B business school mask on. Um, I think I was, I was really quite far away from the business school as well. So I was quite impressed with that. And um, I think it's some uh, Indonesian officials came over um, to the Imperial campus in South Kensington um, for a press conference. And they were all wearing our branded face masks. And there was Professor Robin Shattuck, um, I think the lead of the Imperial vaccine was there. And that was kind of like a vision that we had at the very beginning, which we really wanted to push for. And in the end, you know, we, we actually took the project there, which I think was, yeah, just amazing to see. Um, no matter what else we did in the project, that was what we aimed for, to have that kind of like, you know, everyone unified from Imperial, all having a really, you know, strong look, basically, yeah. The cohesive message. I think you missed a couple of steps as well, actually. There was, the way we got to that point was, um, we were, it was, again, it was through the exposure that we had built up through releasing video through releasing created these point of sale displays and essentially we were approached and it was the idea of we have these we want to get indonesian officials um with something on their visit because it was related to when imperial was in the vaccine race and creating an agreement it was a perfect match because it was related to the pandemic and it was something that was gift worthy that was what we were really um happy with that people viewed it as a symbol of quality and as a symbol of you know this is a nice thing we want to give it to you because in reality if you were to buy like a blue surgical standard face mask or like one of the white like fp3 face masks it's like no one's going to gift you that because it's not really something special but the fact that people considered what we had made as a gift i guess meant a lot because it showed that the work that we put in was um appreciated by by the customer uh, and even if that's not like direct, like for example, people wearing on the street, that was a nice feeling. Yeah, 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 I love it. It resonates so much with me to see the results of something you've made um, for your fellow students. Okay, so since we've already mentioned a lot about like, your self-reflections and take away from the whole project, is there anything you found from this project far from different than you thought initially? I think what we'd learned and I guess this was also learned from the dark horse as well, uh, design engineering, uh, is that when it comes to being an entrepreneur, it isn't just about the product. It's about creating a functional business and learning about, you know, tax, important logistics, so many other things that go into it. But, you know, people often become obsessed with trying to make the perfect product and they're trying to design oh it has to it has to be this to solve the problem and it's like that that's not true at all it's always about the problem and solving the problem because there's thousands and thousands of ways to solve a problem and getting overly product obsessed is never a good thing you have to be obsessed with the problem not the product because if you're obsessed with the problem then at the end you're going to you're going to solve it. If you're obsessed with the product, then at the end you're going to come out with that product really well defined. But that product might have deviated 
away from solving what you'd originally anticipated. So I think it's important that, let's say, in InDesign engineering, you do a lot of product design. People can get absorbed on their idea and fall in love with their idea. But that's, I think, a mistake. Falling in love with a problem is key because I think it all links back together. Solving the problem should motivate you. But creating the product, if that's what motivates you, then you're not really... I guess, helping anyone by doing that. You're, you're just helping yourself. It's almost selfish if you get obsessed with a product. So I think from what we originally thought, we were like, oh, we're going to have to make face masks. They have to look like this or whatever it might be. Um, we removed that aspect and we approached it from a first principles view. And we said, okay, what are we trying to do? We're trying to create a sense of community for Imperial. We're trying to help students feel protected. We're trying to... Um, make an impact on scale. And then from there, we can start to build out what we make at the end. So that's something that I think we learned. And I think it was a good thing to learn because we carried it on into all our other projects. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, stemming from what Shaf was saying, it's not really about this question, but um, I think something that we found as well that was really, really important was, I guess, if you're doing something wrong and you're really in the headspace of you know, you're like really focusing on it and you, you're doing loads of work on whatever product you may do. Something that you have to do is you have to listen to other people's input. Um, and if you don't, if you don't listen to other people's opinions on what you're doing, then you really get trapped in what you're doing and you become obsessed with the product, like Shafe was saying. So taking other people's opinions on board and really using that to make your product more and more amazing and going out interviewing people, finding out what their opinions are, that really I guess, can elevate whatever you're doing to another level. Yeah. So what, what's absolutely key, I think, is there's a fine line between when you take other people's input, you got to know what, what are they talking about? And if you ask them a question, what was the question? Because if you directly ask someone, for example, you know, did do you like this design? They're probably going to say like, no, or they're probably going to give some kind of biased answer, whatever it might be, because you're directly asking them, do they want this? But that's not what you should be asking. You should be asking, like, what, what problems do you have? And then you as a designer can start to understand, okay, this is how I can help the person's problem. Um, a great example, I think, is uh, when James Dyson was doing the vacuum. Uh, and before that, everyone had a bag, bag vacuum. Um, and the bag would be opaque, and people would vacuum up, and it would go into this bag, and then people would those are the bag or empty the bag or whatever. Um, and he was the first person to create the bagless vacuum. And when he was doing research on whether or not to make the color of the, the bin that attaches to the vacuum, whether to make it clear or opaque, his customer research showed everyone saying, oh, no, we want opaque. We don't want to see the dirt. That's disgusting. Um, but he was like, no, he just, he basically defied what, the market research was saying when they did user testing of clear versus uh, opaque, he said, no, we're going to go with transparent. And when it launched, it became a huge hit. And everyone was, I guess, almost in love with this idea of, oh, I can see everything I've collected. I can see all the dirt and dust. Now, for me, it's like the fact he asked the customer directly was was the issue because he, he thought it's not actually to do with what the customer wants is what it's to do with what the customer's problem is and whether you solve that problem. And in this instance, the customer is trying to clean their house. And if they're trying to see how much they've cleaned, a transparent bin is great. You can see how much dust you, you've got. You can see when you need to empty it. You, you solve it in so many ways, but it's not always a one-to-one -one relationship of you ask the customer, they're the final boss. It's you ask the customer's problem and then you create for that. That's always a story I like. Yeah, it, it, it kind of helps when conducting any kind of user testing or whatever to really think about the questions that are being asked and think about what you're testing. Yeah, yeah, I like it. You just give a brilliant examples on how designers can move beyond personal insights to understand the problems users face. And I guess if we start with the problems, we can make people understand that there is a problem that can be solved in a new way or a new problem that nobody ever solved before and make them understand that's a missing thing in the world. So you kind of like get people's attentions and you got a reason to be and you've got a product to solve that problems. I like this logical process. <laughs> yeah, as you just mentioned, it's increasingly difficult to adapt the product vision as the project advances. And sometimes the designers will 
discover aspects that challenge their established vision late in the games. I just have a quick follow-up questions. Uh, what partnerships are you making to uplift your product even more? Uh, did you have any engagement with uh, the business school or any other department uh, at Imperial College? Yeah, so we engaged with the business school. There were other departments that were interested. Um, we had some people interested who were um, in the US, but that deal um, didn't go through because there was, I guess there was uh, a, bit, a bit of friction with um, what the requirements were there. But we focused in on the deals that were uh, achievable at the time because I think the, the issue was that we were balancing things with university so we had to make sure that it was manageable mm -hmm. um, and that's why when we were considering how to take it forward we had to take it forward so that we don't give it so much momentum that we don't have capacity to handle it we only give it so much momentum that we can still keep going with it so um the main things we were doing was trying to automate as many of the logistical processes as possible so that we could continue having customers mm -hmm. and not lose out on potential business. So uh, we focused in on other departments in Imperial. Got it. Yeah. It's so good to hear the whole story. I mean, turning an idea into a product is one thing, but putting a price on it is a whole different ball games. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I also heard that you two carried the dream team spirit, or what do we call it, an entrepreneurial spirit forward, and are working on a very futuristic project outside of dream team. Would you be able to talk about it and maybe tell us about your current processes? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, at the moment, um, as I said, I'm, I'm doing a PhD on a futuristic shoe concept, but where that stemmed from um, was a project that me and Shafe were working on together, um, and it's called Reality, the Future of Footwear. Um, and it's, I guess, looking into how we can, um, I guess, avoid the really unsustainable uh, current footwear market that we're currently in. So, I mean, every year you have 23 billion pairs of footwear purchased globally and 80% of all of that end up in landfill and the rest of the 20% are incinerated. And it's an extremely unsustainable model. So what we were looking at was creating a, a new kind of shoe, which uses uh, things like 3D printing, uh, personalization. Um, automate, automating the pipeline, uh, augmented reality, using self-healing materials and also biodegradable materials. Um, and essentially what our concept is, um, is it will have uh, one base shoe. So you'd have one pair of shoes um, and you'd wear these shoes and they'd be optimized for comfort, durability, performance, um, and they'd be 3D printed. So they fit perfectly to your foot. But then in order to change the actual style of the shoe, you don't replace the shoes whenever you get a new style. What you do is also just so you know, this is a futuristic concept that we made it for. So mm -hmm. for the year 2040. So the idea was that you'd have this one pair of shoes and you'd also have um, augmented reality eyewear. So the idea is, is that you would purchase digital, um, I guess, skins for your shoes and you'd be able to view different styles over the top of your footwear that you're wearing on your feet. So you could have one shoe and it could become any style. So you could have a Louis Vuitton shoe um, over the top of your shoe, but it's obviously in a digital form. And uh, yeah, that's what we're hoping to carry on um, for the future. I was, I was going to say, um, yeah, exactly. It was, it was looking at the future of footwear for the year 2040, and it stemmed from a module called Futures, which was looking at solving the problems of tomorrow today. So that was what we developed uh, in a team of five, looking at, you know, how can we rethink the footwear industry as a whole? Um, and then after that, uh, we both decided, um, you know, why stop there? So then I looked into different competitions and uh, we created entries of, for the Global Footwear Awards, for uh, INT Innovation Awards, and we just basically put it out there. There was also awards that we didn't get, um, uh, but the point was we put it out there as much as we mm -hmm. could, and then it started to gain traction. Yeah. Um, and when we saw it was kind of successful and working and people resonated with it we took it forward in our master's project so um, Alfie worked on the biomaterials element uh, and creating essentially a bacteria and nanocellulose material to make the shoe biodegradable and then I worked on the 3D personalization so creating algorithms which can turn a 3D foot scan into a 3D printable shoe and then actually manufacturing it and testing it essentially bringing the concept closer to today so 
creating the intermediate steps needed to be able to achieve it in the long term. Um, and then we went through a accelerator program as well to keep it going forward. Um, and now we're kind of just uh, working on it in the um, in our spare time, essentially. But it's definitely one of the projects we'd like to continue working. Yeah, I see. I see you guys won a lot of awards on this project. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I like the idea of kind of like bridge the gap between the physical and digital world and uh, help to solve the overconsumption due to fast fashion. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I think you guys just look at the sustainability and looking at the future of sneaker consumption. So before you kind of like hop onto the project, what are the thought processes involved in creating a new category design? So I think this was something that was taught by a combination of our degree, as well as just things that we personally looked at. So I think future scoping is one of the key elements that we used for creating this design and thinking about, you know, what are the problems that we're going to face tomorrow and how can we solve them today? Uh, And then the other aspect, which, um, is uh, Stephen Bartlett talks about it a lot. It's first principles thinking, which is ignore everything that exists today and think about like what is fundamentally the problem and what can you do to try and solve that. And it really helps put things into perspective because again, this is something I, I think about every every day. And it's uh, Steve Jobs' quote. It was the fact that the world around us was built by people no smarter than you or I or anyone else. It was essentially built by other people, right? So for me, what that says is anything that we says is the norm, it was made the norm by someone else, right? So, you know, for example, the tube system that was designed by someone before Instagram existed. Like nowadays people say, oh yeah, just uh, like take an Insta photo or something like that or put on Insta. And it's like before that existed, that wasn't a thing, but someone created that and that's now in our world and is now there so thinking about things from the ground up and having an open mind and thinking you have the ability to create something and bring something new into the world is it's not only refreshing for like an individual but it's also a very powerful tool because it means that you truly believe you can create a new category whatever it might be you can create things that are new and then aside from that planning it so being able to very i guess logically and in an organized way determine what you need to make that into a reality what you need to make that come to fruition yeah these are just some of the things that we might think or do whenever we're trying to come up with things that are that i mean i think for me obviously all of those are very important but i think something that shafts really pushed for me as well throughout all of our projects we've done is definitely planning like whatever whenever we start anything we've always got our initial plan that we always start that we call the alpha plan Mm -hmm. and from that point onwards you put everything that you need to do into that plan and then from that point on everything just falls into place because you've got such a good plan obviously along the road there are things that go wrong and you have to you know change the plan depending what happens but once you have that solid base as the foundation the rest of the project really just builds up around that basically it's got to be dynamic so no, no plan is ever rigid. If it is, then either you're an extremely good planner or there's not enough of a problem, like it's not enough of a challenge that you're solving. So every plan is dynamic and you have to have the versatility to respond to changes, changes within it. And again, this all links back to when that change comes, you have to be able to be resilient to it. If it's a negative one, um, if it's a positive one, great. Um, but yeah um making sure you know what you're doing or at least you know the step is important right i agree it's a it's like a vicious circle so you got motivation and uh resilience to move the project forward Mm -hmm. yeah i agree so as you mentioned it's been uh quite a long time from concept to uh manufacturing are there any hurdles you guys need to overcome for uh, bringing such a cool footwear to the market yes there's lots and lots of hurdles, but that's what makes it fun. I guess scalability, uh, making sure it's viable from a financial perspective, um, making sure that we essentially aren't designing too far ahead for the future because then it becomes essentially just research or conceptual design. Um, essentially drawing all the steps in between is, is what's key. But yeah, there's lots of hurdles. There are always are hurdles. Um, but again, that's that's what makes solving problems fun. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, um, like I mentioned, I'm going to be doing 
a PhD on the biomaterial mm -hmm. for the footwear. So that in itself, I'm going to have to go into genetic modification. I'm going to have to go into the processes for creating the material. You know, what I'm going to do, how am I going to do it? Am I going to 3D print it? Am I going to use a mold? All of these different things, they're all things that need to be done in order for this end project to, I guess, work as a whole. But in that um, process, there are things that we can do, um, like, for example, Chaffee's automated pipeline. Um, that's more of a thing that we can implement um, when when we need to um, and things along the way I mean in in the year I think it was 2025 I think it's predicted to um, the augmented reality is meant to be commonplace by that point I think it was 2030 or 2025 um, but essentially once Apple released their augmented reality eyewear that's something that's meant to become commonplace and that's the point where you could you know release different features I guess so there's a lot of things that need to come into place before we get the the entire concept. There's always a technology adoption curve. It's it's a cool curve which essentially talks about the early adopters and then how eventually you get to a peak of it being mainstream. So I think now it's not even an early adopter stage. Like that's yet to come. Yeah, I agree. There are so much things we need to think about in the later stages. Yeah, I thought uh, you guys are know each other for a very long time. I guess since first year of your undergraduates. So um, what would you consider to be your special strengths as design engineers when starting your ventures and I believe you guys are working on a lot of projects so what made you guys feel you're the perfect fit with each other I think it's more fun if we answer for each other so I think for Alfie it's his ability to see things that others can't especially when it comes to design or visuals or branding I think it's really important part of any project is communication and the fact that he can essentially, I don't know how, but very easily just make something and then it just gets the point across is key because it complements, I guess, like my own skill set very well in that he, he just is able to convert technical things into very easy to understand ideas. Uh, but then what's important is that he also has the technical skill set. So whether that's in 3D printing, biomaterials or whatever it is, <laughs> that ensures that he understands what is being spoken about and it's not just like a pure designer it's a, a blend of all these different um, elements and then being able to you know adapt to situations when when necessary so um, that's I think why Alfie is quite strong and complementary to my own skill set. Yeah I think for me there are three main points um, for Shaft's skill set so number one is the ridiculous work ethic and just being able to keep going, I guess. That's like I, pretty much one of the main things, I think, for the project, because that's something we both would do. We'd both stay up all the time and work constantly throughout the project. But Shaf, yeah, that's one main thing. Uh, number two, I'd say is this, as we mentioned, the strategy and planning, that's ridiculous. Because if you don't have that at the beginning of the project, you go in random directions, you don't really know what you're doing, but that's something that's really key, I'd say, for Shaf. And then finally, also the really strong elements of technical um, abilities, whether it be in CAD or, you know, making the new concepts and whatever interests him. So, that, I mean, so many interests in 3D printing and all those kind of things, the technical abilities that he has are exceptional. And then to be able to apply that to a product as well, um, with all of the other things I mentioned, it just... I guess, really complements both of our um, points because I obviously put the point across with all the design and everything and he makes the product amazing and comes up with the, the story behind it, I guess. And yeah. Yeah, it's so good to hear you guys kind of like uh, give each other a round of praise. We don't, we don't do this often. Yeah. We never do this. This never happens. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but it's so good to recognize each other's strengths when working on the project, right? Yeah, no, no. I think, I think um, being, th this is something actually that's quite important is being fair when recognizing things mm -hmm. in, in any project. So I think what happens in a lot of group projects is sometimes you assume that the whole group has done, like if one person achieves it, then it's ignored and it goes to the whole group, right? But I think what's important is that it is definitely a group achievement but also praising the efforts of the individual to say, you did this for the team, amazing. And obviously everyone else does something within the mm -hmm. team, but whenever you're, you know, trying to keep moving forward, recognizing those efforts, I think is 
important because otherwise if you don't then it's almost like um you're rewarding people doing nothing right um because yeah whenever anyone achieves something it's always for the greater good of the team yeah i think it's always important to recognize uh when when someone puts in an extra effort i agree acknowledgement is always important uh in mm -hmm. teamwork yeah mm -hmm. Okay, and another part I think we need to mention is, might be the intersectionality, like being able to do different things and being able to see the intersections of two worlds, like you to have a kind of like a diverse background in engineering and have experience in coding, 3D printing and 3D modeling, a little bit of everything. I think that really kind of like helps not just with perspectives, but also with just having a different way of um, thinking. Yeah. So overall, I think the technical background plus engineering mindset and a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit is really important in the projects you guys did and will do in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So brilliant. To wrap up, what stage is the project at and what are your plans moving forward? Um, I think right now the project is where well, we're entering it into different um, competitions, uh, but we're also working on it as uh, from a business perspective, uh, the footwear. Um, and we're either considering launching that at some point or an alternative business, which we're, which we're working on as well. Um, but I think the, the, the main point being is that we're very much keen to continue innovating or making new things or just putting things out there. So, yeah, I think we're, we'll always be working on something. Uh, at the moment, it is the footwear project, but we do have other things that we uh, are interested in. So um, keep, keep an eye out. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, yeah, for the, the footwear project, it might be in a different form at some point. At the end of the day, we're looking at the problem, like Shafe was mentioning earlier, which is you know, overconsumption of footwear. So if there's a way that we can solve that in a different way, then maybe we'll go into that. I mean, like, as, as he was saying as well, it's all about being able to pivot your idea. Um, so that's really important. And yeah, the other business proposition we're looking at, hopefully will come out as well. So yeah, fingers crossed it all goes well. <laughs> yeah, okay. Best wishes to your future plans. Yeah, yeah, awesome, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. So in this episode, we learned the process you two went through to manage the face mask project from concept to creation. And I believe it has been a really fascinating turn of events in your life. And it's also been truly satisfying and, and amazing adventures. So here are some of my favorite takeaways from the conversation. So we learned about when you have constraints, you can become more creative. And by addressing these product development challenges, you will develop a market viable product within the specified timelines. So I think we've almost covered everything. So I guess that's a wrap for the show. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for being here on the show. No problem. Thank you for having us. And yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So for listeners, thanks for listening to TNT podcast and indulging in some feel good insights for the mind. See you next time. <laughs>